Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Not to sound corny, but be a student of the craft, man. Really, like, stage time is important. Writing is important. Finding your voice is important. Of course, you don't find it until 10, 15 years. But that's what I tell people. If you want to get into comedy, stand-up, know it is a craft. To me, it's a sport. I think it's a physical sport. You know, to, in order to become a better hitter, you got to go to the batting cages. and You got to hit a 1,000 balls. You got to go to the comedy clubs and you got to tell your jokes a thousand times. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard from Montreal, Canada. Very exciting times up here. Great festival. Great podcast, Godfrey, one of the funniest, most talented stand-up comedian actors you will ever, ever meet. I tell you, you're going to have a great time today. You're going to learn a lot about how to get to the next level, and you're going to learn a lot about how not to get to the next level. And it's all wrapped up into one little bow. Before I get started, I want to thank you guys so much again Big things are happening on the podcast, all because of you. Got a lot of great announcements coming up. I'm very excited, and it's just been incredible, and it's all because of you guys. I'll never stop saying it. I'm so grateful. Thank you so, so much. And so as I look across from Godfrey, it's a unique feeling I have inside because he's the kind of guy who has so much natural ability and so much God-given charisma and so much ease and comfort in the craft of stand-up, along with a work ethic that just continually gets him out of the house and into the clubs almost every single night, a lot of times for multiple shows, even after this many years in stand-up. And it's something that you can't teach. You can't teach charisma. You can't teach how to have a natural flow in stand-up. You can't teach how to have a God-given gift to 
be able to do great things and book jobs right away without really any training. It's just a special thing that happens with certain people. And this is one of those times when I'm doing this cold open where I see a lot of people who have Godfrey's God-given talents. I remember when I was a swimmer, I worked so hard in practice, but there was always this one kid who just flopped around in the water, didn't really do anything, yet he won every race, every single race. And I was good, and I won my share of races, but I wasn't anywhere near as gifted as he was, and he had this natural talent for swimming that I've yet to see since. But he never really gave it his all, 100%. He was always in a situation where he didn't push himself as hard as he possibly could. And even though he won every race, when it came time for the championships that year in my senior year, I'll never forget watching him swimming and watching another swimmer pass him at the very last second and touch him out at the wall to win the championship. And it just let me know that no matter how much talent, charisma, and effortless ability God gives you, you still have to go in and work hard every day and pretend that God didn't give you those things or whatever higher power you believe in. And when I look at Godfrey, I know we're going to be in a situation, him and I, we're going to talk about a bunch of things because he's the kind of guy who is like a paradox. He has all these things going for him. Essentially on paper, it always appears like he's out in the clubs and just pounding the pavement and working out that new material. But there's another side of him at his home club at the Comedy Cellar that sometimes can be a distraction, like everybody has in their lives. Maybe we look at the computer a little too much, maybe go on Sports Center too many times over and over again, or maybe we just do things that make us happy, but we do them a little too much, and it takes away from the time we spend on our craft. But at the end of the day, if you have the skill set, you have the charisma, you have the work ethic, even those difficult distractions that keep you away from things can keep you on a track to get you a ton of success. The formula for success is giving as much as you can to your profession, as much as your bandwidth as you can without taking away from the enjoyment of your life on the personal side. And if you can figure out that balance and make it work, you'll have a chance at the kind of career that Godfrey has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You f-
fucking firing me up, cats. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I'm going to answer Greg Fitzsimmons' question oh, for shit. you. All right. Tell me. Oh, shit. I knew I had to come to this bitch. Okay. Therapy, motherfucker. I'm going to tell you why. Oh, shit. You... <laughs> might not be at the place where you think you should be right now, even though you've done a lot of amazing things. Yeah. But you have to promise me you'll let me get through with my diatribe. I won't say shit. Okay. You want you need some popcorn? Yes. <laughs> All right. I want you to answer this question yes. for me. Okay. I'm just going to ask you questions okay. as we go along. All right. How many years have you been a regular at the Comedy Cellar? Where you were a hangout regular and you were there and going on almost every night. 15 years. Tell me how many days a year have you done at the Comedy Cellar on average? Boy, that's a lot. That's at least 200. 200 times 15 years. That's 3,000. That's a lot of work. Now, tell me the average amount of time after a show that you spent chasing pussy. Per day. That would be... Five, six, seven hours. Okay. 3,000 times five. That's 15,000 hours. Let's put 15,000 hours in a regular, normal person's 40-hour work week, shall we? That means you spent 365 work weeks chasing pussy. Now, to put that in perspective for you, let's divide that by 52. That's seven and a quarter years of your life you've spent chasing pussy when you could be working on your acting, putting monologues together, sitting down and writing sitcoms. Seven and a half years of 40-hour work weeks in your career chasing pussy. Wow. And that's the reason why you're not as big as you want to be. Wow, it's pussy. F*** yeah. That's why I watch porn now. <laughs> I I I I would I would I agree with that being one of the problems. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's a great equation. That's Katz's law. You know, you just made a law, Katz's law, on why you're failing the pussy equation. You're not failing. This is what's okay. miraculous about you. You're a success story. You're in the top one or five percent of yeah. all comics in the country. Yeah. You book television jobs. You book film jobs. You book stand-up specials. You can work anywhere. Imagine if you had this seven and a half years of forty-hour work weeks. Yeah. Imagine where you'd be. Mm. And that's all I'm saying. And, and I, I, dude, I, I like this. I like honesty, see? I'm not f- afraid of that shit. You know what I mean? If I didn't want honesty, I wouldn't have come here. <laughs> I came because I know there's going to be some honest shit. You know what I mean? But that's a great... You need to call it the cat's equation, man. I think you just invented it. You did. You did! <laughs> that's great. And so you're going to just calculate every time someone comes, calculate their pussy hunting. My philosophy with comics was always get in, do your set, get the f*** out. It's like a drug, and you will be sucked in, and before you know it, you'll be hanging out, whatever. You can be friends with these guys during the day. Right. You don't have to hang out at night and do the thing. Get in, get the f*** out. 
I want to go way, way back. Uh-oh. I want you to tell me where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic, okay. your family, mm-hmm. mom and dad, brothers mm-hmm. and sisters, mm-hmm. and what was your first inspiration of getting into this crazy business? Mm. Okay. Born in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska. Parents come from West Africa, Nigeria. Born in Nebraska, raised in Chicago. My dad was a teacher, mom was a nurse. So it was like middle, lower middle class. And your mom was from where originally and your dad was from where originally? Both of them, Nigeria. In Lincoln, Nebraska. And then they, my father had a scholarship to a teacher's college, Dana College in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now it's defunct, now it's now Midwestern University because I looked it up. And um, my father got his master's in teaching and, and continued his studies in Chicago and became a teacher. What's your real last name? Dan Chima. Dan Chima. Dan Chima. Godfrey Dan, Dan Chima. Chima, yes. Got Junior. It. So my dad was Godfrey. There was only one Godfrey in entertainment that I always loved and I always watched on the Mike Douglas show, Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge. That's what my father used to tell me about Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey came from Queens, New York, watermelon man. Cotton comes to Harlem. Very smart, intelligent guy. I watched his footage. Yeah. So your mom was? A nurse, registered nurse, ob guiding nurse. And uh, she did that for like 30 years. And we were just hardworking, blue collar, you know, disciplinarians. Um, I have older sister, younger brother. My sister was born in Nigeria. My brother was born in Chicago. And uh, yeah, man. And that it was, um, so we were like lower middle class, you know, nothing, just in the middle. We got, we you know, we went, you know, listen, we went to day camp. We went to camp every year. We went to all the music. We did everything that children were supposed to do. We didn't miss one step of development. That's why everybody's pretty f-ing normal. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of narcissism in what we do as far as an entertainer, but I'm pretty normal compared to a lot of people. I think I'm not too bad. My parents did a really damn good job because they beat ass. Give if me. you have children, will you beat I'm them? I'm going to punch them in their f-ing mouths <laughs> as babies. I'm going to punch their little baby bellies and just go, listen, <laughs> I'm, just gonna, I'm just tenderizing your ass, let you know what time it is. Shut the f- up. Oh, <laughs> you know shit. what I mean? I, I smack the baby meat. I don't give a shit. <laughs> the folds, you could take it. What was your first inspiration <laughs> for getting into the comedy business? I wanted to be a baseball player. I played baseball for a while. I was a shortstop. I thought I'd be a baseball player. Um, I love baseball. I'm pretty b- good at that. I have my kids play baseball. It's the only sport I haven't played. You know why? It's a game of failure. If you can deal with seven out of ten times failing, then you're ready for you're life. Pretty, you're ready for life. And I, baseball, first they go t-ball, you know, and that's a, that's, I mean, you can't hit a ball on a cone. You ain't shit. <laughs> God damn, t-ball, you missed, I used to smack the bitch out of that ball. They used to call me Joe Morgan, God damn it. Um, I played baseball, and I thought I was going to be that. Then I thought I was going to be an astronaut. Because I love, I, I was a nerd. I was an astronomy nerd. A lot of black astronauts. There were none. And <laughs> I said, I think NASA stands for Negroes ain't supposed to be astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> That's my joke I got. about Because I tell the truth about wanting to be an astronaut, and I never was afraid to do it because there were no black ones. And I used to have that famous poster 
of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. I had the space shuttle poster. I would watch Cosmos with Carl Sagan. I wa- I was very I was astronomy, jet propulsion laboratory, <laughs> nerd. That's what I was. That's what me. You know, the morning of nine eleven, I had a meeting with Buzz Aldrin. Jeez. And I'm in Buzz Aldrin's house so watching cool. the planes wow. go in the building. And you know, my birthday is July 21st, so July 20th, that's when they landed on the moon, July 20th, supposedly, right? July 20th. Because, <laughs> you know, remember, even that one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, I just think it should have been like, we did it, we f- did it. Oh, but it's like, remember the Hindenburg? Oh, God, it's burning. It, it should sound like a baseball game, like someone just hit a f-ing homer. You land on the moon, you leave the earth, you're in a rocket ship, shit in your pants, drinking Tang for how many weeks? And you go, one small step for man, one drag. Bullshit. I don't know. It just, the excitement wasn't there for me. That's why they needed black astronauts. I, I didn't want, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then it was when I got to college. I was a pre-med psych major. University of Illinois. I wanted to be in psychiatry because I'm always, I'm still to this day. That's why I think comedy works because I love human behavior, why people react to things, why people are hateful, why people, you know, just, I, I just love, that's what's so great about being a comedian. Jokes just incite thought, incite behavior, you know? And you, it's almost like you're testing it. It's like a psychological experiment every time you get on stage. So I wanted to be into psychiatry, and and then in college is when I got influenced to start to do stand-up comedy. That's when I was in college, like my third year. I was like, I was with this one chick, and you know, in the cafeteria in college, we used to hang out and just joke on shit and talk about politics. I was very militant, you know. In college, that's when you're free thinking. You start, you're, you're a fake adult, you know. You're sitting up there like, dude, I'm 19 years old, living on my own, you know. What I'm saying, we got to understand. Black people are in danger, man. You know, this government, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, hey, Ma, can I get, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want, I, can you send me that care package? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're a fake adult with that fucking umbilical cord still stuck to you, man. Shit, you know? So um, I started to really free think, and then I used to hold court in, in, in the cafeteria, literally. And when I played football, I joined the football team, the University of Illinois. Big Ten, I, I walked on, went to tryouts on a bet, and I start. I was a wide receiver, didn't start or anything, you know. I was good, but I wasn't great. I was very good, but wasn't great. So, and I did the rookie show. You know, every even in the NFL, the rookies, they shave your head on purpose, and then they make you do a talent show. You have to do a talent show. They do it in the NFL. So I did the talent show, and I pretty much – I, I stole the show. I they, they kept me up there. These big motherfuckers were like, get the stay up there. And I imitated the coaches. I told jokes. And from there, that was like, I think I want to try this shit. I think I'm going to do it. Because I, cause my coach was like, you're, you're going to be a really good comedian. You ain't going to play. But man, whoa, you funny. God damn. So what was your first big break in this business? Big break? I would say big break was like the 7-Up thing. That was like a big deal to me. Like to... To be a spokesperson for commercial, you know, that breaks people. It, it can either pigeonhole you. Either way, it's a, bi- it's a, it's a big, it's big exposure. When I got that 7-Up thing, man, I was like, damn. And I've always wanted to be a spokesperson for an American product. Like, that looks cool. And I f- got that. And I was in Europe when they called me for it. 
I was in Spain on a nake on a nude beach, hanging out, you know, chasing bushy, doing my seven hours. I was doing, I was putting in my time, Barry. <laughs> so figure that out. Oh, I forgot. Why don't you uh, calculate the uh, pussy in Spain? <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Barcelona on a literally on a nude beach. I had a European cell phone, and my manager called me up and said they need you to come to audition for this like product, soda, whatever. And I almost was reluctant because I was like, I'm not going to be in there with 900 black dudes. F that. But it was a short list of people, only like three of us. I changed my f ticket because I, I had done comedy in Amsterdam. Then I just I met this chick. So I just flew over to I took a train to Barcelona. So you're on a nude beach with a girl who's nude. Nude and her friends are. Yeah. I remember that shit. That was like gangster shit. How do you keep yourself at a size that's not embarrassing on a nude beach? Well, with because all women? everybody it's a nude beach. So. You got to chill the fuck out. You just like, all you do is turn your shit to the sand and stick it in there <laughs> and pretend like you're reading on your belly. <laughs> I've learned something to that. And then oil comes out of the fucking sand like, damn, you drilled that far down? Ay, Dios mio, it's oil. How did you do it? <laughs> all the black guys drill oil in our sand. <laughs> <laughs> so then what followed what was the next thing that happened um i went in and then i got on that show um it factor on bravo it was the first reality show and they followed us around new york they did the one in la too with jeremy renner was on that mm -hmm. renner and all and uh they followed me around and it was it was like an experimental show and i got it i auditioned out of a couple thousand people got it and they auditioned they followed me around whatever and then um I went in for the audition for 7-Up, but they couldn't film that. They had to film me going in, and that's it. Then I came out, and, and I was on the phone. In one episode, I was on the phone, and I got the, I got the gig. This is the thing I want to share with the audience about commercial auditioning versus theatrical yeah. television and yeah. film auditioning. It's normally a cattle call of at least Oof. 100 people. Yeah, man. You're hanging out with or whatever. They're going in and out. You're waiting and waiting. And sometimes it's only one line or two lines. It's like you don't even have to have an acting talent or a skill. Wow. I don't even know if they're looking for you to say the line a certain way as they're looking for the look and the feel and the aura of you. Sometimes it's just like, oh, this redhead guy is the guy we want. That's, that's for, sometimes the look beats you out. You're a Shakespearean actor. You've studied at conservatories. You've studied in London at the, the Royal Academy of Acting. You studied under the greatest acting teachers. And then you're in a fucking room going, mm-mm, good. <laughs> now lick your lips. <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> and you walk out in shame, knowing <laughs> knowing that you're better than that, but you brought your stupid ass over there because you need to get that fucking rent paid. You just did King Lear in London. <laughs> you just did Othello. You just did to tame a sh taming of the shrew you just <laughs> you just did august wilson's play you did tennessee williams you just did a whole run of, <laughs> of king arthur and you're like yummy yummy <laughs> give me that burger lord emory <laughs> and uh, you didn't get it <laughs> and they gave it to that fat that hasn't acted ever and he just goes oh man i just decided why not let me just try it mother 
I took elocution classes. I took diction. I even walked with a book on my head to keep my posture right. And this fucker goes, I couldn't believe I booked it. Yeah, I just got like another national, another national commercial. Man, it's amazing. How are you doing? How's your life going? You f- <laughs> And then you take the sword that you use in Key Arthur and you stab that fat <laughs> mother f- Yeah. Oh, f- man. That's that. I just summed up the business, man. I can't believe I got another national. Man, every time you always pick me for the national. You know the one that goes, man, I love Burger King. That's me. And I just got a voiceover of the Simpsons. I got a lead voiceover. Oh, did you? How you been? I'm doing this f- play in the park. Have you seen it? Yeah, Shakespeare in the park. I'm, yeah, I play the f- bush. As you sign your name on the little <laughs> sign-in thing, and you got to deal with that shit. You got to go, oh, how old are you? Negative 40, black, and my rent isn't paid. Holy shit. And you got to walk out and go, hey, you guys, break a leg. We wish you guys luck, but you really want to go, I hope you all die. I want to get this. Why are you? Why did you show up? I can't take it. And then a casting director, hugs the person that might get the job hey mikey what's up she didn't say hi to me she just told me to sign in over there this they're gonna not even film me i don't even think the camera works and then they'll tell me can you be more like kevin hart and chris rock you think you can be like that well why didn't you hire them you mother all black people are the same i went to the conservatory of the royal academy you mother and you gave it to, hey, man, you remember the part where you auditioned for? I got that one, too. I got another. I got four. I got four nationals. My life is really changing now. And now SNL just picked me up. I auditioned 900 times for SNL. Couldn't get it. You, I, you know I auditioned like, I, 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 my first audition for SNL, I got a standing ovation. And I didn't even get past the second phase at the comic strip. I didn't get shit. And then I, I went again. I, I did a table read with Colin Quinn in, uh, at the NBC studios and Marcy Klein approached me because I played four characters and she goes... She's the executive producer of the show for yeah. many years, one of the most respected people yeah, and she's Calvin Klein's daughter. daughter. Yes, and she saw me reading this script for Colin Quinn and it was a table read. Me, Horatio Sands, Tracy Morgan, all of us. And she like came up to me, like interrupted me like, and I didn't know who she was. And Colin Quinn was like, that's, that's Marcy Klein, man. She... That's amazing that she came up. To, she's like she's heard you doing all those different accents. I didn't get no. I didn't get a response from that after that. <laughs> they never. They said, "How are you not at SNL?" I wasn't chasing pussy that day neither. <laughs> Recently, like last year, they my manager now. She he goes, "You know you'd be so good on SNL." I go, "Dude, they don't like me. They don't want. I I I've gone there. I'm not doing." And he goes, "Just put on." Put, just just do a tape so I can da 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 So I did this little, I did this thing. And this is why your manager is right. And I'll tell you why. And why? just listen to this. Oh, here you go. You got it. Melissa Villasenor. I know her. Tested when she was a young girl, 21. Right. Then she tested a second time. Lauren came up to her and said, great job the first time. She tested the second time. She didn't get it. She went eight years trying to see if maybe it was possible that they could do something or whatever. Didn't happen. And this past year, she, she got, got the it. show. I know. I was... So your manager 
is right. There's always a chance. Yes, they weren't looking for Melissa Villasenor. Yes, they're not looking for you. Yes, they would like to see other people out there that are newer friends. But if you go in now, 10 years later, and just do something that is so far superior to every single person that they have on the show with your experience, there is a chance. It might not be one in 10. It might not be one in 100. It might not be one in 100,000. But let me tell you something. If I could play the lottery and have a one out of 100,000 chance of winning, I'd play every day. Right, and that's true. why your manager's right. All right. It's good then. But I did it. I didn't not do it. I gave him a tape, sent him. I did some. And then they said, we love Godfrey, but da 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 da. I was like, that's strike three. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's like they always, it always, that always comes around. SNL, I go, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be realistic. I don't think that I'm, they're fing with me. I'm not taking it personal. I'm just like, I don't think they're fing with me like that. You know, as you get older too, you're like, I mean, I still look pretty good for my age, whatever. Yeah, you look like you're 28 years yeah, old. And it's like, I didn't take it personal. And 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 where I where I am in comedy now, I'm really happy where I am. And it does take 20 years. It does. It's a real craft. It's a real craft. I mean, I know nowadays, and this is nothing on the industry. They're giving people shit that aren't ready for anything. They're giving them shows left and right. And so you see all the guys that you come up with who are ready. Now. Like your prime is when you've done it 15, 20 years. And you see a lot of the guys you know that are amazing, the guys and the girls that are amazing at it. And you go, wow. Like they're giving these two-year comics a lot of shit, man. Jesus. Tell me three comedians that you see in the clubs that you would bet on that no one really knows about that you respect and love marina franklin marina franklin greer barnes greer barnes i know right greer barnes and um great comics yes and marina franklin greer barnes and um oh ooh, i know i got another person um oh no no not no no oh oh no they know him um i'm coming i'm coming with somebody Oh, Brian Scalero. Great comic. Brian Great Scalero. Comic. He's funny as hell. But I'm Marina, I think I see daylight with her. I, I try my best. If I know someone's good and I have a chance, whenever I'm in a meeting, whenever I bring their names up, that's what I do. I believe in that. Because this business too, Barry, you know, you can't do it by yourself. You need people that believe in you. And that's a lot and that's what's happening. That's what happens with a lot of people. Well, the game has changed though. Your social networking has changed everything. But Chappelle doesn't have any social networking and he can sell it a room by just calling but, it but remember, Ken and Sam but, coming at midnight. But remember this. He had the greatest show in Comedy Central history. Probably in history. In period. And it was dope. So don't forget that part. Okay. He had which is I mean, Chappelle's a dope comedian he's he's not a bum so i'm not where i'm not like going putting him down he's the shit and he had a show that proved it you know thank god he got that before all this dumb shit happened you know what i mean i'm not saying he wouldn't have done well without the show but that he got enough in where he's good for life he don't have to worry about shit and he's making another comeback you know what i mean so I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like you see other people, you know, cause they're, they got 
YouTube followers and blah, blah, yeah. blah. That shit is annoying. It is. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> shit. But you go, okay, that's the way of the world. It's like when rock and roll disappeared. And what Godfrey's alluding to that's annoying is that he's working 20 years on the craft of stand-up comedy. Yep. And a person who you have to respect the fact that they picked up a camera True. and they said, I'm going to create something. Mm -hmm. But within a year, some of these people have 7 million <laughs> subscribers and followers, and they've never even studied how to film anything. They've never done anything. They've nope. never been in front of a camera. Nope. But the world speaks, and the world will tell you what they like and what they don't like. That's right. And everything is different. In music, people like Barry Manilow, people like Nine Inch Nails, people like the Fugees. Yeah. And you can't question why or what, but stand-up is a craft. If you choose it, it is a long-term right. profession. It's one of the longest-term professions, and you're constantly evolving and getting That's better. Right. Look at Lewis Black. The guy didn't break until he was probably 50 or something. Yeah. Bernie Mac, 23 years in the trenches right. before things happen. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. Six that, degrees of separation. Oh, I want to mention that. some names. I'm good at that. Or some things. I think I'm six degrees like Kevin Bacon. I'm 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 that dude. Just That's say it. what comes to mind. It could yeah. be one word, That's could be a sentence, could be a story. Okay. Could be anything. Louis C.K. Oh, damn. I did Louis. So I was first two seasons of Louis. Louis also put me on um, the Chris Rock show like three times. For some reason, Louis, I don't hang with Louis. Louis's not my best friend. I don't come from his school of comedy. He's Chris Rock's. That's Chris Rock and those guys. I'm with. I'm the Bill Burr, Robert Kelly. Those are my dudes and Jim Norton. But that guy put me on the Chris Rock show three times. And he put me on his first two, I was the first reoccurring character other than his main dudes on, on um, twice on his show, on Louis. He, I didn't have to audition, none of that shit. Cause he uses comedians he knows. That's my connection to Louis. He hooked me the f up. Tell me how he is as a director on the set versus other people you've worked what with. What I like about Louis is he knows exactly what the f he wants. And he talks to us like comedians. Like he goes, hey, you know what you need to do, right? He goes, just do, you know, and he knows every, he knows. My first episode on Louis was when we took him out to the club, me and Artie Fuqua. He, so obviously he knows our reputation. He goes, I need to do an episode where I'm trying to get some ass. 
and he went to me and Artie. And, he, and, and in the episode, it's like, hey, go, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Nick DiPaolo goes, go talk to the black comics. They're the ones that know how, they're smooth with women. And they, he picks me and Artie. We take them to a club that we actually shot at, that we actually used to party at. It's like Louis had been watching us for years and knows everybody. And he's very like, he's, he doesn't talk too much. He's very like, you know, Louis a pretty quiet dude. But when he says something, he just goes, okay, you're going to sit here. Do, and even when I brought my clothes, how was this? That's fine. <laughs> it was just, it was just quick and short, you know, right to the point. He just knows what he wants. You know what I mean? He, he writes everything. And you just like take his lead. How'd you like that? That's cool. Could you do it this way? Okay, good. Moved on. Very quick, very, you know, exact. And he knows every comic's demeanor and personality. And that's what makes it so good because he knows everybody and knows how everybody's going to act. And then the second season, it was the one with the niece, his niece, where um, I go on stage. <laughs> he bombs after me on purpose, of course. He bombs after me on purpose. And I go on stage, he goes, hey, man. And he told me this. He goes, I just want you to riff on shit. He goes, you can make anything funny. And that was a compliment coming from me. He's like, you can make anything funny. So, yeah. Zoolander. <laughs> well, Ben, I was in Zoolander. I had a little cameo appearance in Zoolander. I had auditioned for Ben Stiller. And what's funny is Ben, I auditioned for, there's a part, if people know Zoolander, it's a cult following. I was there was the models at the at the gas station pouring gas on themselves. I auditioned for that part, but then I went in and 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 I and he called me back because he goes, "You were too funny for that. We wanted real models with no personality." So my friend, whose his name is Osio, he's a real model. He got that part, but he goes, "I have a part for you," and he says, "Can you imitate me?" And I imitated him, the character, and then he put me in. And then after that, I told him, I asked him within my audition if he had. Um, seen judah for a part judah Friedlander, Friedlander who who was already in some of his movies and he called judah after that and put judah and judah plays his brother when they went to the coal mine you know he plays the brother along with vince vaughn so i brought i brought judah's name up in my audition yeah. the late madeline khan well madeline khan i want to tell you she was the sweetest lady when i was um warming up cosby she was one of the characters she was the next door neighbor and she was such a nice lady and she is a comedic legend and she was so nice to me she Pat was very nice to me patrice o'neill oh come on that was my big brother man even though we were on the same age yeah patrice o'neill was always you know people he was he was he was um what do they call it when you it's not everybody's taste he wasn't everybody's cup of tea you know but but people don't understand patrice he was very honest but if he liked you he shit on you that's when you knew you were in like, if he goes, no, what the f*** are you wearing? And you're like, I'm in. He just f***ing recognized me. The Friars Club the, and the roast, the main tagline is, we only roast the ones we love. That's it. And that's why, you even with Chevy Chase, when they were trying to get people to go to his roast, nobody wanted to go. Nobody wanted to shit on Chevy Chase, so that means no one gave a f*** about him. But when Patrice O'Neal, like, we would do his barbecue every in summertime. We'd come to his house. And when you would walk towards him, he'd be he'd see people coming towards him. He would shit on you as you approached his house. He'd be like, oh, what the f*** is this motherfucker wearing? God damn. <laughs> he would shit on you. He didn't care if you were with your girlfriend. And then I met his mom. His mom shit on me. I go, well, that's where he came from. His mom was one. So Patrice was an honest, 
an amazing comedic genius. He was he was what I think I needed, especially as an African American comedian, because we would have our you know African American talks. Man, I remember this is what this is what Patrice O'Neill told me. He told me when I was doing the Twitter thing. He goes, man, I go, man, there's some people that got so many followings, man, some followers. He goes, he goes, he, and you know, Patrice like, let me tell you something. He said, let me tell you something. I'd rather have twenty thousand of my devoted fans than a hundred million of dumb motherfuckers on my shit. I don't need that shit. He goes, if I have a, if I, if someone is, if I have some fan that's, if, or some follower that's saying crazy shit to me when I'm putting shit up, I fucking X them out. I'd rather have 20,000 quality motherfuckers than, and he goes also, he goes, he, and he always used to tell me, listen, motherfuckers, see, you one of them smart motherfuckers, man. You smart, you good look, blah, blah, blah. He goes, a lot of motherfuckers are gonna hate you, but fuck that. Don't ever change what the fuck you do never compromise your shit also he said um he said so what do you want to be he goes do you want to be do you want to be that motherfucker that makes 20 million dollars and had to pull his pants down for it or do you want to be that 10 million motherfucker with an amazing jewish team <laughs> do you want to be the 10 million dollar motherfucker with the with the with the with the Jewish team, or you want to pull your pants down for twenty million? What you want to be, motherfucker? I said I want to be have an amazing Jewish team and make ten million. <laughs> he goes because the motherfucker making ten million can still buy the same amount of houses, motherfucker. That's what he told me. Dane Cook told me he invited Patrice O'Neill to his oh, no. home in L.A. and he said Patrice O'Neill walked in the door, closed the door, and it was the first time in his life that he actually saw Patrice speechless and he was just looking around the house back and forth like yeah. an oscillating fan. Yeah. And then he just heard him say under his breath, Barry Katz. <laughs> mother <laughs> Oh, shit. How long were you with Dane? For? About 17, 18 years. Damn. Next thing. Yeah. Anger issues. Oh, geez. There was a point where I was really angry. I, there was a point where I was Pollyanna. I would say Pollyanna at the beginning. I was just so happy-go-lucky. You know me. I was, hey, everything's going to be fine. And then there was a point where, you know, you're still smiling, but shit ain't going right. <laughs> it's like Cheshire shit, man. I was just like, hey, <laughs> I want to stab a motherfucker. <laughs> hey, I ain't getting nowhere. What the f but I was, I got angry, man. Especially when I was bi-coastal in uh, Los Angeles, I started to get into, started to get into spirituality and law of attraction. And but I was angry at the same time. I was angry. I was mad. I was fucked up, like mentally. Just I was just, I didn't want to deal with reality. And then my girlfriend was like, telling me like, shit, like you, you. The reason why you're doing that old magical bullshit. And I, we would get, we would get into fights. I want to choke her, man. You shut up. It's law of attraction. You, Vince, Norman Vincent Peale said, if you think positive, things will come to you, bitch. <laughs> now you leave me alone while I'm trying to think positive. I'll kick in your fucking stomach. <laughs> I was doing. I was fucked up. I was saying I'm really mean to her and just mean to myself and just angry at everybody. You know what I mean? But that's a natural thing. This business. When people say that this, if anybody goes in this business 
happy forever. That's on. That's no, that doesn't work. It's impossible because it's 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 up and down. And there's a lot of snaky people in it. You know, I'm not and it's not shitting on it. It just is what it is. And that's what I ran into. And I fucked up a lot of shit. I fucked up some money with people. And I'm just making a comeback, just like kind of getting my shit in order and just being a realist, growing the fuck up. You know, you know what I mean? I made amends for shit. I wanted to make sure. Oh, man, it's, if anybody, if there's anybody I pissed off, and then I was like, you know what? I was young. I didn't know. Blah, blah, blah. I don't have a problem. One thing I don't have a problem is, is manning up to shit. I don't, if I did something wrong, I don't have a problem. But I can't change the fact if someone just doesn't like me because they just don't like me. I can't, I can't kiss your ass if you don't like me. Some people just don't like you. They, there's nothing you can do about that. It's like, I just don't like that energetic, charismatic black guy right there. I don't like him. <laughs> I just don't like that motherfucker. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it's, it is what it is. So I've, it's okay. I'm comfortable with my lane. I'm comfortable in my lane. But in this lane that I'm comfortable in, I want to make sure I'm, deal, being with, I'm with the right people and we're on the same page. And I'm doing the right things. So I'm, and it's like there's a point where you go, oh, no, this is your lane. Just be in your lane, bro. Just, you know, before when you're young, you're like, I got to be in everybody's lane. No, f that. I want to do that, too. I want to do it. But I'm like, nah, just I'm stay in this f lane. You know what I mean? And age does that to you, too. There's a point where you just get tired. Like, you're just like, you know what? What am I running after? And then I'm going to tell you what changed me, too. I just did a, um, I did a cancer patient wellness center uh, show for cancer patients in Montreal. And uh, they were all, some people were on their last leg. They're about to die, right? It's me, Jimmy Carr, Gina Yashere, Vladimir, um, we, 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 it was, it was in, in a room in this wellness center. It's no microphone. You're just kind of talking. You know, I feel like a French comic, no mic. Just, and these people had cancer. Everybody has cancer. Some are survivors, some are, and I did comedy and I just sat there and they were so appreciative and open. You could do whatever you want. They laughed at everything. And there were people, there was a lady literally about to, man. And that just said, what the f am I complaining about? You know what I mean? When I see something like that, you go, oh, I see what my purpose is. You know, we're always chasing, and it's natural to want to chase when you see people driving car, nice cars and getting all this other shit. You get compared. They like to compare you. Yeah, you want nice shit, man. But then when you look at that, I bet those people in this, in this room, those cancer patients in this room were like, all I want is my health. I can give a fuck about a damn TV show. I can give a fuck about money. You know, and that really fucked me up. I Because my mother passed away from cancer. So, you know, and all she wanted was like, I just want to be healthy. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? And the fact that I have my health, that I have my, and you know, I have a, I have a, um, an injury in my ankle. I have a fucked up ankle, you know, just some old sports injury. I'm like limping on it, complaining. And then I see a guy in Montreal with no legs walking on these like, these little, like these weird shoes. I don't know. They look like shoes. He had no legs. But he had a, you know, he had a clean shirt and he was walking to the restaurant with confidence. I said, what the f am I complaining about? You know what I mean? So I, that, that meant a lot to me. So this, this, I think when I, if I stay with that kind of mentality and really look at what really is matters in life, I think that's when the success, the better, the more, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm not successful. I need to stop that shit. Cause to be in this business, to be doing it 20 some years, 20 years, doing what I want, traveling the world. It's a success, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are people, there are headliners right now that can't even f do the chuckle hut wherever. You know, we have that, we have a fictitious chuckle hut. They can't even do a headlining gig in a B room.
They can't even do it because they don't have enough numbers or whatever. I can do that because I was able to build my reputation over the years and I still have a fan base. And I go, I can get money on a weekend. You know what I mean? So there is successes. So I, I've learned to really have perspective. I've, it's circumspection, actually. And I've had that. And it's, I think this is what I need. Because sometimes with men, and this is in you know Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill, and I've watched all his lectures on t on YouTube from the fifties, and he just it 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 is a point. He even said it. Mo a lot of men usually men become more successful in their forties and fifties when they're older because there's a lot of shit they got to get out, whether it's sexual, whether it's there's a lot of shit they battle with, and usually when they're in their forties, and that's why you see that success that happens in that time. And I'm naturally I'm I'm a little I'm way more focused. I mean, you know, you say chasing pussy. No one's ever gonna not like pussy, whatever. But I'm not what I was before. You know what I mean? It's like a natural progression. Even comedically, it's like, wow. It's like you just you're just a different. It just with maturity and age, and you grow differently. So, as far as success, you know, I'm my my strategy is better now. I'm better in meetings now. <laughs> I used to be like. Like me, like me. I'm not that. I'm like, I want to be likable, but if you don't, okay, fine. You know, it's like, that's all right. But I'm to the point now. I'm I'm confident with what the f I want. I'm not a worried about someone not liking me. I'm not in a goddamn high school lunchroom. You know what I mean? I'm a human being. I am a artist, and I have something to share with people. And it's not. It's it's to it's to it's to help the world, not to. F you know what I mean? I have something to share with people. I'm not competing with anybody. I'm like, this is, I just want to create and, and go to bed, man. I just want to create and live well and call it a day. That's it. And then can die. Tina Fey. Uh, cute. <laughs> Chris Rock. Profound. Snoop Dogg. Cool as f Patton Oswald. Uh, Real alternative comedy. Shaquille O'Neal. Big kid. Denzel Washington. The greatest actor on the planet. Hecklers. Tumors. <laughs> the late Greg Giraldo. Uh, genius. All right. Your proudest moment in show business. Oh, wow. Proudest moment in show business? Oh man, uh, um, I think my proudest moment was when, and it sounds so off, not even like a stand-up thing. When my father, when after Michael Richards did that whole went into that racial rant, I was with him like a week before he did that, which was weird. I did At the Laugh Factory yeah. where he said the N word. Yeah, but I was with Richard before that, and he had done that before, like to an old lady. I've seen him go Michael off. Richards. Yeah, Michael Richards go off and curse call this lady a I saw. I was hosting. And he goes off and goes, you Because it was kind of funny because he was, he gets on stage. He's not a stand-up comic. He gets on stage and he starts falling like Kramer. Does his little, he does that. So he's getting laughs for about a minute. And then he realizes, hey, we're adults. We're not five-year-olds. So you can fall. But, you know, a five, you know, a kid will be like, could you do it again? Fall again. He was doing that shit, and some old lady said, it was pretty funny. She goes, you're funnier on Seinfeld. <laughs>
And what did he say? You f***. you, you Yeah, he went the f*** off. And so I was outside. I walked outside and people said, hey, yo, uh, Michael Richards just ran off stage. He just snapped and cursed everybody out and left. And so I just see the microphone just rattling from him <laughs> leaving. I said, all right, give it up for Michael Richards. And so then I was I saw I saw him like a day or two later at this. At this he's really crazy. Uh, and he was just like talking to me saying, hey, man, you're really great up there. Yeah, you're really good. You know, Michael Richards. And then I go back to New York and that shit happens. That whole N word shit. And then I get called, CNN calls me, Anderson Cooper show calls me. They want you, because I was doing like CNN, like little comedy head, talking head shit. And I live down, I don't live that far from CNN. Boom. So they come, call me upstairs and I get interviewed by John Roberts. Now he's a White House correspondent. So he's with Fox. So he goes, he interviews me about the whole situation. And I tell him, you know, I talk to him about how, you know, it's too bad what he did. I mean, I don't think he is a racist, but he was just trying to get out of a comedic situation. He thought that was going to work, whatever. And I said, and I just to, I talked about how black people liked Kramer. I mean, he was he was the outcast in science. We loved Kramer. He was disappointing, whatever. So then my father had seen that interview. And he was so, because my father, all he watches is news and CNN. If you're on CNN, you're the shit to him. He's African, man. Africans watch CNN. And my father saw me on CNN. He called every African in Chicago. And everybody was, my father's like, man, he said, I saw you on CNN. I was so proud of you. You, 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 you spoke with good English. You made us so happy. You, you look educated. You look very nice. Oh, my father was so, that was my best. I, I, I will never forget that. That made me feel good. Not even comedy. Just my father seeing me on his favorite program. Because that's. That is the reason why I do the comedy I do because it's, it is smart. I am a smart. I can't. I can't veer off. You know. I want to be that smart black dude. I don't give a shit if it takes me longer. Fine. Because my father. It, I always look at what would my mom and dad say. Because in, you know when you're in a in African traditions, Arabic tradition, you your reputation is your people look at you and go. Man, we saw you. We're watching you. You know what I mean? It's like everybody's your mom and dad. And culturally, when you have a strong culture like that, it's like everything, every move I make is very important. That's why I don't accept a lot of shit. I have to be that smart, intelligent guy because I was raised that way. My father said, always always have dignity, always have pride. I'm, don't be desperate. He said that. I don't want you to look stupid. We, we watch you. That's embarrassing to the Africans. Don't do that. And so in the streets, when I talk about my dad, all that stuff, Africans from all, from Ethiopia to Congo, they go, man, we love that stuff you do about us, man. That shit means a lot to me. And if it takes being a little broke, it, you know what I mean? Oh, well, but I, I got to keep that. Dignity is what I'm keeping. So I'm going to be the $10 million motherfucker with the Jewish crew. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. <sighs> biggest disappointment? I've had disappointments. I would say getting with this one management that tried to take my money. I think it was that. You know, just being with the wrong people in Los Angeles when I was bi-coastal, you know? And then moving out of there and just like really like going, okay, 
I'm going to really work on my stand-up and just take it to the next level. That's was that that experience in Los Angeles was the biggest. I think I fucked up. Like, what am I doing, dude? You know what I mean? You didn't call me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't call me. I fucked up. All right, last question. What yeah. advice would you have for the young person whose parents are from a foreign country and they're going from one city to the next they have a dream of doing something and what do they need to do to have the kind of career that you're having i'm you know if a young comic i it's hard because with all this um instagrams and facebooks you know they're using those things some of those people get fame through that but if they're asking me i'd be like i'm i'm an old school guy so I say, you know, what you do is you do your best to get on stage as much as you can. You treat this comedy, it's not a hobby, it's a real craft. I say you watch people that came before you because in order for us, for order for the, the reason why I did this is because I saw people before me. I said actually be a student of, not to sound corny, but be a student of the craft, man. Really like stage time is important, writing is important, finding your voice is important. Of course you don't find it until... 10, 15 years, but that should be your focus is like, I don't give a shit about how many um, Instagram followers I have, YouTube followers I have. Comedy is a, t is a t real time continuum. That's why there's a guy I do sketches with on, on Instagram and he's an Instagram star and he I did some sketches with him. That's how my numbers got up. Because What's his name? His name is Rennie, Lorenzo Cromwell. Really funny guy. He's a drama major in college. He's, he's going to be graduating this year. So that's 21 years old. And I started doing some sh sketches with him. And that's how my numbers got up, which is great because of him. And But he's like, I really want to do comedy. I want to do stand-up comedy. I said, cool, you're really funny on your Instagram. But I'm telling you, I'll bring you to an open mic, but it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. And he showed up. And he, I said, how many minutes you got? He said, I can do about like three to five minutes. I said, three to five minutes is forever when you first start. But cool, I'm glad you showed up. I brought him to Stand Up New York last year. And he went up and I and he and he didn't know what to say. He was he he had it planned and he just and it wasn't even that many people in the audience. It was like ten people in the audience. And he just froze. And I told him, I said, I told you, it's a time continuum. It's not like in Instagram where you 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 film something, stop, send it out. Uh <laughs> in uh stand up comedy, there's no editing. You, you say a joke, okay, that didn't work. Next one, next one. You still got three more minutes. So it's a continuous thing. You know what I mean? You're in the present moment and you need to get initial laughter. It's not like a buildup of fans. That, no, they need to laugh right now within this time. You know, so he, that's what I tell people. If you want to get into comedy, stand up, know it is a craft. To me, it's a sport. I think it's a physical sport, you know, to, in order to become a better hitter, you got to go to the batting cages. And you got to hit a thousand balls. You got to go to the comedy clubs and you got to tell your jokes a thousand times. And you got to do a thousand shows to a thousand different types of people, a thousand different types of situations, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Just so you can say hi comfortably. <laughs> just, to, just to get on stage and go, yo, what's up? That took thousands of times to do it comfortably. 
Remember when you were first doing comedy, you were nervous, and the microphone would be like in your leg. You wouldn't even untie it because you were so nervous. You're like, I'm just going to sit here. I don't want to untangle that. I'm not even that good to untangle. But you know what I mean? I, every, you got to do shit a thousand times just to take the mic out of the stand normally, just to move the mic to the side normally. That takes a thousand times, you know? Just to say hello to hello to the what if the mic unplugs if you're if you have to do that a thousand times to to recover from that you got to do a thousand 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 million shows to say the punchline right you got to say a, a joke a thousand times to change the punchline to finally change the punchline to t- finally st- um, put the accent on a different word that's what made it better after doing it a thousand times you know what I mean you have to fucking you got to hit that ball a thousand times. So I said, if you take it that way, that's, I think, how you become a guy like myself or a guy like Attell or a guy like Burr and all these guys. You got to put the work in, man. Godfrey. Yes. Awesome. Oh, cool, man. What a great, great podcast. This you were good. fantastic. Man. Thank you really really fantastic i'm so grateful that you did this this was really i'm not gonna front this was you're good man this is really good man like you really know how to ask questions you really like this is good i'm not gonna front i'll tell i'll I'll recommend it to people say you need to do that podcast this shit's good this was awesome As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Because you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, 
and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.